Hey, good morning, friends. So glad you joined us uh, for Easter today. Um, as most everyone knows, Easter is just, just one of the most um, incredibly important things for us to celebrate, the greatest event in human history. And so I'm glad you're joining us today. I know today's a little different. Most Easter's are filled with dressing up nice and um, maybe going to a location, a gathering with other believers. But I still think God has a specific word for us today. I think he wants to speak to your heart. So pray with me real quickly as we uh, jump in. God, thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of men and women. Thank you for the invitation to be part of your family through the work of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his eventual return. Pray that you speak to our hearts today in a way that only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I was thinking about the message today and um, how the disciples responded to Jesus. I thought, you know, no one wants to hear, I told you so. Those might be some of the most, uh, one of the most stinging phrases to hear, I told you so. Mostly because it's after you get good advice from someone that you choose to ignore um, and it turns out they were right. And after uh, you admit defeat or that you fail miserably and that you're suffering the consequences of the foolish decision, the person that gave you the good advice might come and say, hey, you know what? I told you so. So many of those things have happened in my life where I did not take the wise um, advice, chose the foolish road and suffered the consequences for it. I remember one such time when I was 18 and I wanted to go meet up with a friend um, at the mall. That's what you do when you're 18. And the weather was bad, it was freezing over. My dad told me he didn't want me to go. It wasn't safe, it wasn't wise, but I wanted to go. And so I pushed back against him pretty hard. You know, like you do when you're 18 and you know more than everyone else, certainly your father. So he relented, he told me, listen, son, you're a grown man. You can make the decision uh, that you want to make, but if you choose to go, you're choosing foolishness over wisdom. And I remember he used that exact phrase. And so I left, I got in my truck, I left, and I thought, I want to show him. So I left my parents' house, I drove to the Bossier Mall from Shreveport, made it safely, ate at the food court, it was glorious with my friends. I'm coming home and I literally have a smirk on my face. I remember it just like it was yesterday thinking, man, I'm going to pull back in the driveway. I'm going to be able to look at my dad and be like, okay, dad, I made the right decision. I went and nothing happened. And I was on the big kind of curve coming from I-20 uh, in Bossier over to 49. Maybe you're familiar with that little curve. And I hit a patch of ice. And my truck started spinning around and all the other cars around me spinning around just, uh, just as well. And my greatest fear was not of my safety. I wasn't thinking how terrible the wreck would be or if my truck would be damaged or even going to the hospital. I was thinking about, you know what? My dad's going to say, I told you so. Not because he had done that so many times in the past, but he had clearly warned me not to go. Told me if I went, I was choosing the foolish way over the wise way. And I went anyway. So I say all of that as a way to introduce today's text of Jesus appearing to the disciples 
after he was resurrected. Of course, today's Easter. And for nearly 2,000 years, the Christian church has celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, the supernatural bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave. But when you look at Scripture recording these events, no one really expected Jesus to actually resurrect. His greatest followers, the people that he spent most of his ministry with, even his friends, did not expect him to actually do as he had said, that he would be uh, killed and buried and then resurrect from the dead. So I want to start in Luke 24, and I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to open up to Luke 24. Some of this text, I think, will be on the screen but before we read, just a quick snapshot into the context here. Jesus of Nazareth had been crucified by the Romans. He's died. He's been buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he's risen from the dead. And he shortly thereafter appeared to a few of his followers on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking on this road towards a town called Emmaus, seven, mile, seven miles away from Jerusalem, They get to their destination. Jesus sits down with them and all of a sudden they can see that it's Jesus. And as soon as they realize that it was Jesus, he, the text says that he vanished from their sight. Well, they get up from Emmaus and run to town to tell the other disciples. And so as soon as they get in, you can imagine them in this room hiding likely from persecution because of all the surrounding events in the past week or two. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 36, it says that as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. It's a greeting that they'd heard before from Jesus. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself, touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. This is God's word. Jesus asked them, I love this phrase, why do doubts arise in your hearts? This is the word from which we get the English word dialogue. It's in that moment they're trying to figure out why, how, am I really dreaming? Is this even possible? How in the world could this be happening? Think about this with me for a minute. The disciples, those that had followed so closely with Jesus, had spent countless meals and nights on the road with Jesus. They had seen him perform so many miracles. Think about the miracle of feeding the 5,000 or speaking to the wind and the rain and it stopping or healing Lazarus, bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He had done these incredible things. And yet in the darkest moment of Jesus, they had completely abandoned him. When he went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray, they were nowhere. They, they, they continued to fall asleep. And he kept saying, could you just labor with me in prayer for a few more hours? When they came to be arrested, they didn't listen to the directions of Jesus. Remember, Peter actually chopped off someone's ear. 
Peter would later deny Jesus three times. Jesus went and hung on the cross and none of his disciples except for John were present. And to make matters even worse, when he actually died, they left him there hanging on the cross. It was two secret disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who actually asked Pilate for his body, took his body down and buried him in the borrowed tomb. So you could think that guilt and shame might be their thoughts when Jesus first showed up. You can you can identify with their questioning how and why and if this is even possible. But Jesus shows up with such tenderness and forgiveness and compassion and grace. No, I told you so. No added guilt and shame to their own feelings of doubt and discouragement in the moment. Because that's not why Jesus came. Let me ask it this way. If there was a God that created the universe, including you, created you, and that God wanted to send you a message about himself, would you know how to listen to it? Could you even understand him? What kind of message would he send that you would get it and understand it? Easter at its core is the ultimate message of God to you. But before we get there, we'll get there in a minute. Did you, did you know that God has been trying to communicate with you from day one? Scripture tells us in Psalms 19.1 that nature itself, the heavens declare the glory of God, that you can look at the created order recently with all the virus and new things i've been studying the human body it's just amazing how the body has been made with such intricacy and god has thought through all of that and every new thing i learn i'm like man that's incredible that god has made me that way so through nature and created order god is trying to speak to you he's given you a moral code romans 1 tells us written in the very dna of your body to know the difference between right and wrong and light and darkness but just to make sure that you didn't miss this message from the creator God. He came in the person of Jesus. As a baby that we celebrate through, through our Christmas time. Hebrews says that Jesus was the exact representation of the father. That Jesus even says of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So if nature and DNA wasn't enough, Jesus shows us what God is like. And you know what his message is? The God of the universe wants to communicate with you. He comes in the person of Jesus. And you know what his message is? In John chapter 3 and verse 17, he tells us explicitly what his message is. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus brings the message of God to us. He brings this message of salvation and hope. Easter would be the greatest declaration of victory over sin and the greatest birth of hope for the rest of the world. Peter, one of those disciples that blew it so in such a great way, I mean, he blew it big time. 
was in that very room. He would go on to write a message from God and uh, to the church in 1 Peter, mentioning the resurrection events specifically. He writes, according to his great mercy, in verse 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I was talking to a friend this week just about writing an Easter message, and every Easter you want to you want to preach a new Easter message, something different, something unique, and there's plenty of material there. But one thing I tried to make sure I mention every Easter message I preach is this one phrase in that passage, this idea of a living hope. We're in a world that needs desperately, we need hope. Peter reminds us that because of the great mercy of God towards us, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, I understand this has been a trying few weeks through the pandemic and the shelter in place and the fact that I'm not with you face to face preaching this message, all of this is a bit strange. But I want to encourage you from Scripture, God's words to us, that it's very possible to grab hold of living hope this morning. Peter goes on to tell us in the next 25 verses of chapter 1, we're not going to go over all of that this morning, but he tells us of the implications of that living hope for us today, right now. He mentions at least four reasons that we as Christians should live with great hope today. And I just want you, I want to remind you of those just quickly. First, that we would have meaningful suffering. Listen, the world can be brutal. Our entire world right now is walking through some sort of suffering and difficulty from people losing their jobs, their retirement, those that are fighting for their life in ICUs and hospitals. And although I don't believe that God has caused such suffering, the Bible does encourage us that God can take and use suffering to build us up and shape us into someone that looks just like himself, into the image of Jesus. He says in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Peter doesn't concede that his suffering, doesn't concede his suffering to the hand of Satan, but says that God ordained it for the increase of his faith. God knocked the props of life out from under Peter's heart here so that he would have no choice but to fall on God and receive his hope and promise of the resurrection. This is one of the purposes of difficulty and suffering, and it's why Peter here says that we can walk through these trials. He 
since the freedom to love flows from this kind of radical hope, suffering is a primary means of building compassion into the lives of God's people. When we suffer, we're reminded that God hears us. When we suffer, we're reminded that God is with us. When we suffer, we're reminded that God is using it for good. Meaningful suffering. The word he uses for trials here is one that means various kinds of trials. Listen, I know you and I are going to walk through difficulty. We're in a season of difficulty now, but there's Christians across the world that have suffered far greater than we have. This very letter from Peter to the church, they're, they're under incredible persecution, hiding out in caves, many of them. And yet, they're holding on to hope. Meaningful suffering. Another implication we have here from this passage is this idea of lasting faith. It says in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it's tested by fire. Our faith tested by fire. Our faith isn't tested because God doesn't know how much or what kind of faith we have. It's tested because we often are ignorant of how much or what kind of faith we actually possess. God's purpose in testing is to display the enduring quality of our faith. If gold is fit to be tested and purified by fire, one of the most worthy minerals that we have, metals that we have, then how much more our faith, Scripture says, which is far more precious than even gold. Here's what I'm saying. God has a great and important purpose to testing our faith, to burn away all the other things that we might be tempted to put our faith in, and at the end of the day, to rest solely in God. Have you found out God's so good, good to us in this way? One of my nephews used to only eat sugar cookies. Literally, that was the only thing that he ate, the cheap kind that you buy at the store uh, with, the, with the frosting on it that kind of disintegrates as soon as you bite into it. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's all he wanted. Of course, his parents knew that that was not enough to sustain him, that he would be sick, hurt himself, limit his growth, so many other things that probably could come from this. So his loving parents had to take those things away from him in order to give him better things. And I think this is the point here with this lasting faith that God tests our faith, again, not because God doesn't know what kind of faith we have, but he's trying to show us what our faith is ultimately in. Let's move on quickly. The, another thing this passage shows us of the result of our hope in Jesus is inexpressible joy. In verse 8, it reads, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This kind of faith leads to inexpressible joy. 
The word translated here, joy inexpressible, occurs only here in the New Testament, and it describes a joy that is so profound as to be beyond the power of words to express it. If you've ever been around any saints that are really suffering, Christians who really walk with God but are going through the the depths of suffering, there is certainly a certain joy there that I have never seen and I long to have in my own life. I remember over the years walking with people who were walking through cancer and had a very bleak outlook and yet you would visit them in the hospital and all they would want you to do is just to sing these hymns of praise and they would smile ear to ear with so much joy emanating from their fragile body. Inexpressible joy because joy is not come from our circumstances. It comes from our hope in Jesus. Finally, the unfading inheritance. Again, back to the beginning of the passage, verse 3, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We are born again to a living hope because we have eternal life and a Savior who has conquered death himself. The hope lives because it's set upon an inheritance that is incorruptible. It can never fade away because it's reserved for us in heaven. This is such a contrast to any inheritance here on earth. It's called a living hope because it's imperishable. It cannot be taken away. All the hope that this earth might provide to hope in your own health and your own strength, and that can be taken away in a moment. To hope in your bank account or your retirement account, to hope in your kids or in your spouse. You have no control over any of those things, literally none. This is why Peter encourages us that our inheritance is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable. This is such an encouragement to my heart. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the past century, comments on this verse this way. He says, the hopes of the rich, the boast of the proud, all these will die out as the candle when it flickers in the socket. There is no unwaning hope beneath the changing moon. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes itself upon the throne of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say it this way. We read the verse earlier, John 3, 17, that God hasn't come to condemn the world. The verse before that, Jesus explaining to Nicodemus how he can be saved. He shares with us this heart of God for us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I know we don't have any sports going on right now. We've been watching replays of classic matches. But it's amazing to me how there's always a guy holding up some kind of John 3.16 sign in the background. 
And I've always kind of laughed at that, that they get in the most um, conspicuous places, even the PGA Tour, which is heavily guarded of who's in and out and what's in there. There's, you'll see a guy behind Phil Mickelson holding up a sign, John 316. This is God's message to you. The God of the Bible, the God that opened his mouth and created everything, including you, loved you with such a great love that he gave his only son so that you might have eternal life. All of those that would trust in him, not just believe, oh yeah, I believe that there was a Jesus. Everyone believes there was a Jesus. He's a historical figure. You can look at the documents of philosophy and history, not just Christianity, and know that there was a Jesus and he was crucified on a cross. Well, we celebrate Easter as not the historical figure of Jesus, but that Jesus really was who he said he was. That he was put in a borrowed tomb and three days later he arose. And today he offers eternal life to you. There's a day coming that we will see the full restoration of the kingdom of God, a time where there will be no death and no tear and no sorrow and no pain. And this is our hope and we hold on to it. Can I ask you, is, is that what you have your hope set upon today? A living hope in the gospel of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and eventual return? Let me assure you that there's no greater hope that is worth the weight that you would press into it, but only Christ. The God of creation wants to send you a message. He wants to know without a doubt that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he's invited you to be part of his family through the work of Christ. Can you hear him today? Will you trust him today? My invitation, surely there's people out here, part of our faith family and our extended network of friends and families and acquaintances that have been caught up in the religious fog. The religious fog is this belief that if I, that if I, that if I do all the right things and I act all the right way, then God's going to love me and accept me. But that's the furthest thing from Christianity. Jesus says, I know you're not going to be able to do all the right things. And so God, in his loving heart towards us, sends Jesus to die in our place, to pay for our sins, to invite us to be a part of his power and his resurrection. Will you place your faith and trust in him today as your Savior, having dealt with your sins on the cross and as your Lord, offering you great hope in the life to come, Yes, even your life right now. That word joy inexpressible and full of glory. The offering's yours. I'd like to pray for us. And I'm going to pray in just a minute. And I encourage you to pray silently right where you are. Maybe you have done a lot of religious things, but you don't know what it's like to have this kind of joy, supernatural joy that's untainted by the circumstances around you. Scripture says today would be a, the day of salvation. I pray that you would take a step of faith today. 
Maybe others of you, you've been a Christian for a very long time. The invitation today is that you would hold all the more strongly onto this living hope that we have in Jesus. I'd love for you to respond back to us if you need prayer, if you're taking a step of faith today, we'd love to help you. There's a link just down below you somewhere that you can click on and contact us. Let me pray for us as we're done. God, thank you for your gift of your mercy and your grace, for this joy inexpressible that we have because of the great work of Jesus on the cross, dealing with my sin and yours so that we could be with you in your kingdom. God, I pray for those within the sound of my voice. I pray that they would not get caught up in the religious fog and playing religious games. Lord, they would listen to your spirit as you speak to them, as you bring conviction of sin, as your kindness leads us to repentance, as you freely offer forgiveness. Help us to walk especially in this age, with such great joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Happy Easter. Right. Ooh, seconds to spare. Really?